I love food. I love cooking food, eating food, sharing food with others. I even plan my meals out over a week in advance. I mean, it's partly to eat healthy and limit impulse buys and limit food waste via the unused forgotten vegetables that go bad in the fridge. But it's also because I get so excited about the recipes that I find that I have to make them this week. And I love being able to look forward to the different dishes that I'll get to make and eat and share each week. This week's menu includes shakshuka, stuffed spaghetti squash, turkey chili, and butternut squash and ginger soup. Yum. I love cooking. I love sharing what I cook with others. I love sitting down to a meal, passing around the serving dishes, saying grace, letting the conversation flow like the water we're pouring out of the pitcher into our glasses. So I was pretty glad to get to give the sermon on communion. In our church, as in many mainline churches, we typically have communion once a month. Our Catholic and Anglican siblings have communion at every service, as do many Methodist and Lutheran churches. And some Protestants take communion less than once a month. I once heard someone argue that taking communion every week, let alone every month, would feel too Catholic. And I could never really relate to that feeling, though. I mean, Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox Christians, we all recall the Last Supper and Jesus' call to remember him and how he loved us via the sharing of the bread and the cup. So it's not really purely a Catholic thing. In fact, sacred meals aren't even unique to Christendom. Every major world religion, and all the minor ones I've ever heard of, have a sacred meal as part of their practice. We Christians have communion. Our Jewish cousins have the Seder. Our Muslim friends have the Iftar meal that breaks the fast during Ramadan and the Eid al-Fitr celebration, which marks the end of the month of Ramadan. The Hindu religion has prasad, a meal that has been offered to the deities during worship prior to being served. There's something sacred about a shared meal. And it goes deeper, I think, than the theology we use to underpin it in our various traditions. Now, I think that the sharing of a meal is sacramental in how it represents a desire to connect, to love, to help, to share our own bounty, as small as it may be. This desire runs deep in our souls. A shared meal has always been an expression of a commitment to love in a risky way. In a hunter-gatherer society, our early human origins, we never knew where our next meal was going to come from. So to give someone some of your food, to share a meal, was to acknowledge that you may end up going hungry yourself. You may starve even, but sharing your food, that act of love and selflessness, was of a higher priority. As we developed settled agrarian cultures and societies, many became food secure, although just like today, there were still countless people who didn't know where their next meal would come from. But even for the food secure, to share a meal was an act of risky love, of vulnerability. Opening your home to the stranger, the traveler, 
I can hear my mother's voice in my head warning me to never pick up hitchhikers lest they be axe murderers. I mean, well, it harkens back to our mammalian roots. I mean, eating is a vulnerable time. Cheetahs and jaguars, they drag their prey into a tree to feast in safety. Animals at the watering hole are constantly on alert for predators waiting for their guard to be down. Have any of you read the Jungle Book or seen any of the Jungle Book movies? Yeah, it was a law of the jungle that during severe drought, the watering hole was a place of sanctuary. It was called the water truce. There was neither predator nor prey, neither male nor female, neither Greek nor Jew, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Like the water truce in the Jungle Book, In many cultures, it was considered a particularly brutal transgression to eat with someone and then harm them or betray them. Sharing a meal created a bond of protection. The host fed the travelers, and the traveler wouldn't attack or rob or exploit the host. Our very language is a legacy of this custom. Bread and friendship and love are often linguistically tied Bread and salt is an Arabic phrase that means the bond created by sharing food. The Russian word for hospitality, klebsol, means bread salt. Even the English word companion means someone with whom you share bread. I don't think this is a coincidence. To share a meal is to share a promise of friendship and hospitality, and yet, As the story of the Last Supper reminds us, to love as Jesus loved is to love in a way that can put us at risk. How fitting, then, for this lesson to be remembered through a meal, through a shared meal at a common table at which all are welcome. At the Last Supper, Jesus calls us to remember him whenever we share the bread and the cup. In John's Gospel, Jesus reminds his followers of his impending departure. He foreshadows his death and offers a new commandment. He says, to love one another as I have loved you. Communion, it reminds us of how Jesus loved us. A love that persisted despite the threat of persecution and death. Jesus said to his disciples that one of them One of them who was sharing a meal was soon to betray him, and then he shared a meal nonetheless. He didn't go into hiding or bolt the doors or hunker down or refuse to break bread with his betrayer. No, he offered them all hospitality and love. He modeled the type of love that we are called to show one another and to show the world. Not a love that had no fear of death, because as we recall, Jesus prayed that the cup be taken from him if possible, but a love that loved in spite of the fear of death. For as we also recall, Jesus added to his plea, not my will, but yours be done. When we talk about a Christ figure in literature, We're often talking about a character who was so driven by the pursuit of peace and justice and love that they drew the ire, the persecution, violence from the powerful or from the villain. Some examples are Harry from Harry Potter, 
Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia or Finney from a separate piece. That was my first literary crush, Finney from a separate piece. We've seen this in our own lives as well. People who love despite knowing that it might get them jailed or even killed. Martin Luther King Jr. comes to mind, as, did, as does Nelson Mandela, or even Anita Sarkeesian, who hasn't let death threats silence her from speaking out against sexism in gaming culture and fighting for better portrayals of women in the media. So every time we take communion, we invoke the Spirit to fill us with the courage to love the way that Jesus showed us, not only on that night in the upper room, but throughout his ministry. And the more I think about it, the more I'm drawn into Jesus' words, every time you do this, remember me. We formally remember this meal, this sacrifice for love's sake, in church once a month. But what if we took this instruction a little bit more literally? What if we centered our hearts and minds on what it means to love like Jesus every time we eat bread or drink wine? What if we invoked Jesus and Jesus' brand of love every time we shared a meal, even the gluten-free, non-alcoholic ones? What if we did it every time we ate? How might communion infiltrate our lives? We talk a lot about how there's always room at the table, referring to our community by way of the communion table. But what does it look like to put that into practice at every table? To treat every table at which we eat as the communion table? As we approach Thanksgiving, I see a lot of advice column posts about how to deal with disagreeable relatives, particularly politically disagreeable relatives. You know, for some, a, dis a difference in politics or political values really does feel like a Judas-level betrayal. So what would it mean to treat the Thanksgiving table like the communion table? To offer our, albeit reluctant, companions a love that is relentless in its pursuit of justice, of liberation, of peace, a love that also shared the cup of salvation even with the one who would betray. How might our lives and relationships be transformed by inviting a little communion into our communing? Every communion Sunday, we consecrate the elements. We pray over them and we ask for the Holy Spirit of God to bless them, that we might know the risen Christ in the sharing of this life-giving bread. Christ, who taught us to be fishers of men. So we've talked about making every shared meal a communion, but if we take it a step further, how might we make every time we eat a moment for communion? I think we would need to put on our people fishing hats and seek out moments of communion whenever and wherever we eat. For some of us, that might be easy. It might mean committing to join your family for dinner or timing your breakfast with that of your roommate so that you can share a sleepy Monday morning zombie conversation over your coffee or even inviting someone who you know struggles with food security out to a restaurant meal 
and asking them to tell you a story about their lives and really, really listening. For some of us, we might have to find creative ways to make a meal a moment of communion. We can FaceTime our favorite cousin while we shovel in a snack during a homework break. We can read a memoir while we eat our frozen dinner, taking time to build our empathy muscle and really putting ourselves in the author's shoes, imagining what questions we'd ask them if they were in the room with us breaking bread. We can take a few minutes to think about all the work that has gone into what we eat and drink. The laborers who've built the water pipes, the scientists who figured out how to safely filter municipal water systems and the teachers who taught them science, the farm workers who grew and harvested our produce, the many hands that milked the cows in the early morning and shoveled the manure. We can call to mind all of these people, realizing how in many ways they are sharing this meal with us, the fruit of the vine as the fruit of their labor. When we live into Jesus' call to love in a risky way, when we live into Jesus' call to remember him whenever we commune over a meal, that love, it's contagious. Our table mates, literal and figurative, now share a bond with us. They are our companions. We've been humanized in each other's eyes. Our souls have been nourished with the love that broke out of the bread that nourished our bodies. Alongside our newfound or newly rediscovered companions, we are energized. We are emboldened. We are inescapably called to take that love and to send it out into the community. Our compassion is revitalized. Our yearning for justice is revived, and our commitment to peace is renewed. I want to invite you you all to join me in an experiment. If anyone has a justice event coming up, a demonstration or a vigil or an act of civil disobedience, If anyone is anticipating a tense conversation with a family or community member, if anyone is feeling spiritually malnourished, if anyone is struggling with compassion fatigue in the wake of tragedy after tragedy, I invite you to eat. Share some crackers and water with your fellow demonstrators before you enter the crowd. Invite your family or a community member to have your conversation over a meal at home or at a restaurant. Take some time every time you eat to realize the way that this food has been shared with you, to realize that you are not alone, and to take in the love that Christ offers us over the table at which all of us are welcome. My companions, will you join me in prayer? Communing God, thank you for setting us a place at your table even before we knew we needed it. May we come to this table today bringing our whole selves, the selves that you know so intimately and cherish so dearly, but which we ourselves often struggle to love. Help us to find a companion in Jesus Christ. Help us to become companions to one another. 
Instill in us the courage to obey Jesus' commandment to love others as he loved us. Renew our energy when we struggle for justice. Soothe our wounds when we are burned by betrayal. And embolden our hearts to forgive and love again. In your holy name we pray. Amen.